Okay, I think we're pretty nicely sick that time. Yeah. So the topic for this one is sort of interesting, and I'm just explaining it to Liz now that it just came to me. But in the last less than a year, both Liz and I went to San Francisco. And that made me think that for different reasons. But there's also made me think that there's different there's alternate realities where we could have been other people and San Francisco has been a part of that. And I thought it'd be an interesting conversation to have about our alternate selves because there's something about academia that obviously for every level of school, we apply to so many different places. And with every application for our BA or PhD or postdoc, mm -hmm. it's like as you're doing the application, you always put together your profile like you're going to go there. So you always end up imagining what your life would be like at the other institution. And of course, yeah. you only end up choosing one one particular route. So there's so many alternate Liz's who went to other undergrads or alternate Zines. And there's some, and I thought it'd be interesting then to have a topic, have our topic today be about like our alternate reality selves. Also, sometimes I get emails from my, for my alternate reality selves, which is another topic. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're Christine Yao. It's pretty yes. common. See, yes. that's the thing. I've never actually met another Christine Yao in person. I'd have not even met another Yao, but in really, the, yeah. But, in but the, you get all their emails. <laughs> yeah, but like there's other Christine Yao's, I guess, who are American and uh, in Asia, and sometimes they get their emails. Uh, and so now I actually have started a, a tag in my email account for these alternate zines. Hmm. But yeah, maybe that's jumping ahead. Uh, do you want to talk, talk about our connection to San Francisco? <laughs> Zion, I love how I feel like in all of our conversations, you you like you can tell I can tell at least that that you're like a humanities like a liter literary person because you have so many layers in everything you say, <laughs> and you've already got like this theory that has like step one. It's like and every step brings you like further and further into the matrix, and it's like the step two. And then step three, let's like put this in another reality. And then there's another reality. And then this is all related. And that's how Jesus knew Buddha. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> At least in my head, it's all like fantastical like that. Well, I guess yes, I'm glad you think that our scholarship can be that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it, it sounds super exciting. Yay. <laughs> You're like, no, it's like, l listen to this again. It's like this context and this and this and this. Okay. Anyway. That's not what the topic is about. You actually made me think about my first alternate reality, which would be um, actually when I was a kid, I wanted to go to an HBCU. Uh -huh. um, my my goal oh, in life was to maybe be a just major for our audience in case people don't know what HBCUs are. It's a historically black college university. Yeah, like Howard, I for example. I wanted to be in the band. I wanted to be a majorette, which is basically wearing like little to no clothing. <laughs> um, but twirling a baton just um, go see the if you've seen the movie Drumline that's what I yes. wanted to be that's and really it's cool. really funny that uh, I discovered physics and that's really what changed things and um, I don't know I got into ROTC and then I I got into college at Penn so, so it went from like HBCU to I'm going to study physics at an Ivy Mm-hmm. So those are two different realities. Yeah. What there was no ass shaking at a pen because they were the band was horrible. That's oh, not what, the what if about. pen pen people hear this? Do you think they'd be offended? They would agree. No, no. This is I don't care what anybody says. Like black bands are nothing 
I mean, if you know bands, you know that the performance and the expectations of the band are nothing. Like, it's the same way that Ivies don't really care about sports. Mm-hmm. Not really. And the fandom isn't there anyway. So even if I can talk about them, they won't care. They weren't there. They don't go to the games anyway. Anyway, that was my first alternate reality. Um, yeah. And I became a Philly person. What's in- that, that's actually interesting that you bring up the other things that you're interested in studying. Because there was a time when, when I was very young and I was always interested in literature, but I was interested in being a scientist at one time. <laughs> yeah and then cool. I was also interested in being a lawyer and so I think that's part of the reason why mm. my study now is both about like histories of science and law but through literature so I sort of tried to like mm. have the best of all worlds and bring it all together um but yeah I used to be really into all my science books uh, and then I was thinking that I was doing my undergrad in English literature in order to be a lawyer uh there's other famous lawyers in our our family mm-hmm. but that that did not end up being the path of this design <laughs> sorry it's like you're referring to yourself in like the fourth person or like oh, this, is- <laughs> this is i i also like you know since i'm a big aficionado of sci-fi and fantasy like that i've certainly read enough things where people talk about their encounters with alternate reality selves so that's part mm. of the reason why i'm excited to talk about this i guess i run into my alternate reality self in the sense that people tend to think all black people look alike and so I can just get confused for the other black person on my floor. Huh. Can you do you want to but give an that's example? Close. Of that? No, it's just people just think you're someone they else. forget who you are, yeah. They have conversations with you like, yeah, so how is that ballet thing or how is whatever it is the other black person does and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I like that you brought up the ballet thing because like if you got mistaken for Misty Copeland that would be really cool. That'd be hilarious. I look nothing like her. I, I know. It would be hilarious. I can't do but this. But also, split. she's completely so badass. Inflexible. She's totally <laughs> badass. Um, but more recently, <laughs> um, alternate realities would be the job search. And oh, yes. For both it's kind of weird because I think everyone, most people will ask themselves, where would I want to be? And I actually personally kind of hate that question. Because yes, definitely. When people ask me where I want to be, I say I want to be employed. <laughs> I don't really care where. Um, I mean, at least now, like, I, I'm not actually tied down. So I will go anywhere, virtually anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want a job, you're going to go anywhere. But I often find that people want to, want you to say where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you sound like you're too needy, you know, like you are too desperate because you'll say you'll do anything to be hired. And I think that also, I feel like those questions usually don't come from people who are on the job, mar- job market with you or mo- know more about academia, but it's more likely mm-hmm. that people are earlier on in the program or who don't know academia because they'll just say like, oh, where are you going to decide to end up as if you have some sort of control? And where, yeah, whereas with I, academia, you yeah. have no control over where the positions are going to be. And so that's why, again, like I thought that alternate reality would be a really interesting topic to think about because... I've also found that an in industry, that's actually a really important question because where you go matters. So, um, like, you can, so let's say, like, I want to work for one company, but they usually tend to um, keep their resources in a certain area. So if you want to work at, like, Amgen, I'm just kind of making this up, but you want to do manufacturing. Well, their manufacturing plants might be in Philly and then Miami. 
So if you say to them that you want to work in California, they're automatically going to discard you because, mm-hmm. well, they don't have those jobs in California. I mean, that, that was like my experience that when people in industry are asking where you want to work, it also reflects <coughs> what that's so they know which office you apply to for which <coughs> job. So unfortunately, I always hate that question, but, but there's a, a reason for it, at least in industry. So if you're not in academia, you're coming from this mindset mm-hmm. where location means job function. Whereas for us, location just means location. Yeah, and I think that's what makes academia both exciting but terrifying. Like, as someone who's on the job market right now, uh, still in the process, like, my future is just so uncertain, but there's so many, like, alternate designs that I could imagine in different places, being happy in different places, but, like, my like future is so uncertain. Well, I guess maybe I wouldn't want to disclose on the podcast, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who could be listening, but... Well, I I mean, you can hypothesize. I mean, you brought up the topic. That's true. Um, (laughs) But... Sorry, I'm not really sure where to go from there. But it's all really exciting, but also... Exciting and terrifying, because I think that no matter where I I end up, it will obviously change me as a person and challenge me, and I think that's what is exciting, but also terrifying about that type of work. But anyway, so... I. So the re- again, the reason why I brought up this topic was because of San Francisco, and I wanted to bring up this interesting part of my family history, because um, I sort of mentioned to Liz, like, oh, well, we both were in San Francisco recently, as I said, and I sort of visions of alternate uh, realities that we both could have had. And in my case, it was because in my family history on my mom's side, my great-grandfather took a boat from Hong Kong before World War One to San Francisco, mm-hmm. but... Instead of taking him to San Francisco, it took him to Liverpool in England. And because of that, yeah, our family history completely changed. He got there. He didn't know English. He learned English, and then he got into Oxford. And then he got his degree from Oxford, and that completely changed the course of my family's history. Um, Now, there's a very deep tie on my mother's side to to England and a number of other our family members ended up going to both Oxford and Cambridge. So that ended up like really influencing so much of our family history and culture. But again, he took that boat to go to San Francisco and it said took him to a completely different part of the world. That's really weird because San Francisco and England are so far apart. I know. I know. Like at what point did he realize, wait, I should have been in San Francisco already. I know. I think it's only when he landed, like maybe it had to do with the people on the ship not speaking Cantonese at all or anything like that. And just the way the international travel worked at that time before the, the era of passports was just so, I don't know, disorganized and you couldn't check your itinerary and he just like ended up there. Yeah. But like, so I what do you think your life would have been like if your grandfather had landed in San Francisco? Like yeah. what do you think he would have been doing? Based on I'm, what you know in that time frame. <laughs> oh, that's so hard to say. So, yeah, my great-grandfather, um, I, I don't know, but, like, I don't think that they would have been able to have the same access to a higher education. Um, and obviously, like, so much of that fa- side of the family benefited from, like, my grandfather, great-grandfather somehow managing to get to Oxford, which is a huge achievement. And then automatic, automatically meant certain things for my family in terms of, class and education which shaped my family and I don't know if those opportunities would have existed in San Francisco Mm. 
because, of course, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, San Francisco also had the Great Fire that also raised Chinatown. Um, there's a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment at the beginning of the 20th century that he would probably would have faced. Like, if he had any property, it could have been dispossessed. There were uh, different... I know there's a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment because of the Chinese Exclusion Act from the late 19th century through the 20th, and there used to be, like, mobs that would drive Chinese out of towns in, in California. Um, there's a lot of negative things, like... So I'm not sure how my family would have ended up, but I think it would have been a very different path and we wouldn't have a lot of the yeah. privileges that have now become such and a part of And when did your family go family. to Canada? Oh, How'd they get to? So my grandfather and my, my mother and all, uh, all her siblings, uh, my grandfather got to travel quite a bit from work. So he like, was both in Hong Kong and then he brought the family to England and then also to Malaysia. But when they went back to Hong Kong, they were very unhappy uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And also they knew that Hong Kong was going to be hang- handed back back over to the Chinese government, uh, which is very concerning, of course. And so they decided, hey, we've never been to Canada, but we hear it's a nice place. And they put a vote, they put a vote to the entire family, both my grandmother, my uncle, my aunt, and my mom. It's like, should we as a family go and like leave everything behind? My grandfather leaving this really great pos- uh, executive position he had to start again for Canada. And they all voted yes. And this was in the 70s. And they moved to Ottawa. So that was also like a really big decision. That's <coughs> exciting. That's like, yeah, I'm trying to imagine what it's like for a family to just get up and move. Yeah, with like almost no one they know. Grandpa had also been like, he probably could have like ended up really high up in his company because uh, he already had like, I don't know, like a decade's work of it. But then he decided to, to give that up and start anew with a huge pay, pay cut. And what's funny is his, um, he said that my granduncles, his brothers, I think both sort of made fun of him of like for giving up Hong Kong because, because he wanted to give his family like that type of freedom. And the, his, mm-hmm. un- his brothers who stayed like are quite wealthy, uh, like very wealthy. But mm-hmm. my grandfather like made this decision that he would rather give my family a certain quality of life over being part of the upper echelons of Hong Kong society. So naturally, you become an academic, continuing that tradition of uh, not making a lot of money but having a great <laughs> quality of life. I guess so. I mean, like <laughs> my family's like they're doing pretty well, but they're not doing as well as like. But they're not like some of them are millionaires, and my family's not millionaires. So, mm-hmm. but we're we're quite comfortable, so I can't complain about that. And Canada is a great place to be. Cool. But yeah, alternate reality design could be like this really posh. Um, upper class Hong Kong I guess society woman or it could be in San Francisco probably also having a really awesome life but yeah like walking the streets of San Francisco it just made me think like wow my family could have ended up here I could have grown up here if I somehow managed to exist although my parents would not have been able to meet each other (laughs) (laughs) you know the plot thickens (laughs) But yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about um, when you visited San Francisco. Well, I had an interview um, at a um, pharmaceutical company. I don't know why that was so long to say. I had a job interview, and one of the things they do is they give you a housing tour to let you see what the area is actually like. And um, I actually went to San Francisco 
feeling like feeling a lot of excitement and thinking, wow, I could be in San Francisco. It just sounded really cool. And um, every time I visited, it just seemed really awesome. And after my interview, and now I'm touring the housing situation and I'm in the streets, I just didn't feel that resonance anymore. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to like San Francisco very much. Um, not to mention um, the monthly salary that I would have was equivalent to one month's rent. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. For Real a one-bedroom apartment. It's ridiculous there. So I already just felt like I couldn't live there. And it just felt very unbreathable to me to know that I would be struggling so much just to live there. Um, after going to my workplace, I, I saw, and I think this is this can often be the case, that a lot of people were already married or they had children. And so it, was, it would have been very hard to socialize, especially... I just didn't, I didn't hear very good things. Mm -hmm. Um, and the people who had partners were already going to be financially better just because you can split rent. Yes. You can basically divide all of your things by two at the, at the minimum. You can also get a roommate, but, um, it's just harder to find. And so that was also really traumatic, not traumatic, but, um, really stressful for me as a single person trying to think about how I'm going to live in a new city and, do all the startup and do, I don't know, life. Yeah. Um, and you would think that, like, a larger city, like, oh, there's going to be tons of people to interact with, but, you know, like, you start doing the numbers and it's not, it's, um, I think it's challenging. And I think any single person would, would kind of, they probably already done those numbers themselves. They kind of know what I'm talking about here. But um, I don't know. I didn't like San Francisco as much as I thought I would and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I like Philadelphia a lot and so mm -hmm. that's kind of like my ideal city it's not too big not too small either um made of lots of small communities it's a little dirty I kind of like it um yeah I don't like Boston very much actually New York City is cool but I wouldn't live there so I don't know. I really I had an interview at Seattle, and I also tried to think, of, oh, I could really live in Seattle. Um, but I don't know. I just I think at some point I started to get to feel like, um, or what I'm really trying to say, which is really long winded. I apologize, That's but okay. as an academic, you're always traveling and you're always going to new places. Because you kind of, both you have to, but also they're exciting and they're fun. And as I was doing interviews, I started to feel tired for the first time, I would say. Where it wasn't always like glam and glitz when I go to a new place. And um, I started to actually want familiarity. And I started to want to, I started to really question how I can make community. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really done that before in my PhD and um, my undergrad. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to go here. Can I make friends here? I was like, this is amazing. I'm going no matter what. So that was an interesting change for me. And when I started to think about community and how many how many people of color were there, yeah. um, how what was it like for poor people? Um, what kind of opportunities are there? And what do people do for fun? And when I started to think about those things and those cities, although very cool, did were less attractive to me. 
Yeah, and I think about San Francisco in particular, like, again, when I was talking about, like, I think that if my family was there, it would have been a lot harder because of anti-Chinese sentiment, but also, obviously, San Francisco is so expensive, is gentrifying so rapidly. I'm sure my family would have would probably been pushed out. Um, I think it's actually more expensive than New York City, even. Yeah, that's what like, I heard. And even when yeah. I was there, there was actually a protest that I think combined Black Lives Matter and so... Um, police brutality, but also about the gentrification in San Francisco. And I saw, we saw this one sign that um, said the last 4%. And when we Googled about it, it was because like, there's only 4% of the black population who's able to stay in San Francisco because everyone has been pushed out. Um, so like the gentrification overwhelmingly impacts uh, communities of color. I'm not sure so much about uh, what ha- has happened to the historical Chinese community in San Francisco. I went through Chinatown, mm-hmm. but I know it's the case in New York City. I have a friend who's actually working on a project of the gentrification of Chinatown and how all those residents are getting pushed out. Um, but yeah, I think that when you say that you look at, like, are there other people of color there? That's always interesting for us because I think that's another hurdle as an academic who's a person of color mm-hmm. that you wonder, are you going to be the only one there um, in, in your department? Will you be yeah, the Asian and I'm one, just the black your department, one? But when you go home, I mean... Um, one of the reasons why I really liked North Carolina was because um, not only the school, but there's a higher population of black people. Mm-hmm. And what that means for me is that I can get my hair done. Um, I can go to church if I want to. I can, I, can, I can kind of fit in more easily. Yeah. And I'm not actually just the only one. And when I leave work, there's, a, there's something I can go to. And I kind of immediately felt at ease once I just kind of see black people around me. Yeah. And I, and I have to say, this is like the first transition in my life where I kind of actively wanted that. I, I don't want to be in a place where there aren't other people of color. And they don't even have to always be black, to be honest. Just any people of color makes a difference in my mental well-being and like how well I get along. And yes, Zion is pointing at herself. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I noticed, like, even in my PhD, I have to admit, most of my friends were people of color, and that Mm -hmm. that helped me a lot. Or let's just say that I, they weren't all people of color, but I had a larger percentage. I wasn't the only one. And I think when you're not the only one, you get to have a personality. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really, again, this is the first time transition in my life where I actually wanted to find that. Because I felt like I was going to be a happier person and therefore be a better researcher because I'm not worried about all the other stuff. No, I, co- I completely That's maturity, understand. man. Yeah. That's maturity. And I think that, like, we just, we need it because, like you say, like, we can't, I think that there's also a conversation that's been ongoing in other circles about how you retain faculty of color and like what you're saying is <laughs> so much of so much of that like it's not but it's not enough to hire just the one person because that person is going to be really hard to survive you need to like cluster right. hire you need to make sure that there's a community for them there's resources outside the university are they going to get like the food that they um, are used to, to getting like are they going to be able to get their hair done like all these like little things that like remember that there's a whole human being questions yeah yeah and you know I know like Cornell has some efforts to try to maintain minorities and they actually do try to invest in the community because they realize how important the community is for actually keeping the faculty there on campus. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big issue. Cause I think you, I remember you mentioned that like Cornell lost their, 
their top um, only like black administrator, admin person. Um, I don't know if it was the only, but they like they've lost one, yeah. Yeah, and obviously that was a different type of pressure. Um, yeah, but I don't know if it was related to I don't, that. I don't know her motivations. Yeah, I don't oh, okay. Know her motivations. Yeah, but yeah, obviously then it that it changes the experience for people of color in campus when for whatever reason like she did she did leave how does it and we look up to our administration who's making these decisions for us and they're just looking that much more homogeneous mm. and like I think that that type of representation does have an effect both practically and symbolically <laughs> yeah I'm just thinking about how um, as an undergrad, there were there were administrators that I kind of got attached to. Like I, I started to rely on them a lot for support outside of the classroom, and it would break my heart when they would have a meeting and say, "So I'm leaving at the end of the year or something." And um, and you know for various reasons, they mm-hmm. better opportunities. You know they they're also human. Um, but I think as a student, I just felt very selfish because. Because what I was really saying wasn't necessarily don't leave. It was don't leave until I leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they could have left after I graduated. I wouldn't care. But I just, I didn't, I didn't want them to leave while I was still going through. Because I needed them there. Mm-hmm. I saw a conversation that, I don't know if it was um, Chanda, Dr. Ch- Chad, uh, Chanda Prescott-Weinstein who said this or some, mm-hmm. someone else. Uh, but pointed out that sometimes when institutions are trying to hire faculty of color they don't put it towards junior faculty instead they try to hire away another fac um and yeah. and because of that they don't realize they're also displacing the mentor for an entire community at another university and so what they really need to do is just hire more faculty of color in general at the junior level because it's about increasing it in general not just like only allowing a couple of scholars of color to rise up and like cherry picking them and not realizing that they provide a certain type of support to communities and they themselves yeah. as part of certain communities that's true. I mean, there's also already a lot of cherry picking that goes on, I would argue, from the undergraduate level all the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess there's this mentality that there's only a few qualified people of color. And so you're not choosing between like every person of color. You're choosing like people seem to think there's only three of us. And so um, they will <laughs> try to pick three. Or, like, sometimes hiring admissions committees will even say, well, you know what, this candidate's very good. Everyone's going to want them. So we're not going to offer them an acceptance because everyone's going to want them and they're not going to come to our institution and we don't want to be rejected. And then that person Again, dis- doesn't get to end up anywhere. Because, yeah. Or they do- but then everyone has that mentality and that person who is incredibly qualified doesn't end up anywhere. Yeah. That's a possibility. Or they just don't see potential. Again, like they, the scarcity thing, and it's not actually scarce. You just got to look and you got to see the potential where it actually is. And it may not always look like potential in another student. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another way to also think about the alternate reality thing that like, obviously Liz and I are lucky that we're here in part because people saw our potential and were able to foster it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's other alternate realities where we didn't get that support. Uh, we didn't find those mentors or those mentors didn't find us. We didn't get that support. Um, and what does that look like? What happened to that Liz and Zion? Yeah. 
I mean, I do biophysics now, not because I just was a baby. My first words are biophysics, it's because, <laughs> <laughs> but it's because it's my the first internship I got. You know, mm-hmm. like if I got an internship I wanted, I would be doing high energy physics right now. I mean, that was what I wanted to do originally, but my first internship was in biophysics, and then, you know, I started doing optics. That was a professor that said yes to me, and I did research there, and I liked it. And so I think that's always an interesting question to think about, like, why do we do what we do now? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a mix of opportunity and mentorship. Yeah, like there's, a, I guess with a lot of academia, like, of course you can prepare and try to be the best you can be, but there's also so much chance, and you have to be be lucky in some ways. Like how I even got to the topics I'm interested in like of course some of it had to be like I read the right things at the right time but also I had to stumble on the right people the right talks mm-hmm. you know the right opportunities like with you and your internship that so happened to open our mind up to a, to a certain experience that end up connecting with us but that said I also find this notion comforting comforting because I mean I guess to go back to like my kind of first internships I even though I'm doing biophysics now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have been equally good and happy doing high energy physics. Yeah. So like the, their alternate realities here are um, really just like every step we take leads us in a different direction. They, I think they still would have been good. I think that I still would have been the person that I am. So even if the goal I was going towards would have been different, I think I still would have been equally successful. Mm-hmm at them I think there there are steps that take you linearly and there are certain steps that take you exponentially um so like I guess what I'm saying is the choice between biophysics and high energy physics is probably like a linear kind mm-hmm. of thing maybe um the step that went between an Ivy League school and a non-Ivy League school I think that's exponential because of all the networking and resources I got from it yeah, and I was going to but say, but I that, also uh, think I would have still been successful mm-hmm. because I know tons of people who I knew are highly intelligent, highly motivated, who didn't go to an Ivy, who went to the same high school, and they're doing just fine. Mm-hmm. I guess I try to remember that whenever I try to. Sometimes we try to make decisions and we try to figure out which one's better, option one or option two. Well, if they're both great options, you know, first of all, that's a great position to be in, but. But sometimes we just got to, like, pick one and go with it. Yeah. I was going to say that for me, like, the choice of what I studied is really tough. Like, because you said that you could be the same Liz in high energy physics. I don't think I would have been the same Zion if I studied Renaissance or medieval, Mm -hmm. for example. Like, I, I could be. But, like, part of why I was really drawn to my interest in, like, race and politics and gender and stuff like that in American literature is because it informed me so much about the world around me and about myself. And so mm-hmm. it's about been an exploration of and development of my own consciousness. Um, like maybe I would not even have thought about doing this podcast or been part of the reading group I was a part of where we're talking about Asian American stuff and anti-black racism mm-hmm. if I hadn't been doing this because I wouldn't have thought about these things. And so for me, it, it is like it, my choice of study has really transformed my personality, I think. Yeah. I think that's an interesting question to ask ourselves, maybe even periodically, just as a check to see, do we like the path that we're on? You know, like, where have we gone? Do we like what we're becoming? 
Yeah. Like, I feel that, that what I'm interested in orients me, or, like, it obviously changes who I am personally, but also it changes, like, my teaching. Like, how do I want to get my students connected beyond the classroom, for example? What do I want them to learn that's going to be transferable to other parts of their lives? What kind of people do I want them to be? I think is so is is not just about like making them good writers or anything like that or knowing like yeah. important authors. I want them to be certain people in the world, and to make that type of change because of my interest in what I, in what I do. Yeah. On this list, reminds yeah. me of the collapse of the wave function. So, it, um, the alternate realities is like superposition superposition of states. Mm-hmm. So like all the states exist. <laughs> um, and then when you measure it, the state, the wave function collapses yeah. and then you're locked into one mode. And, um, I still remember that principle from physics. I remember, um, I, I keep lots of journals and then like this one thing happened to me and I just called it like the collapse of the wave function. Uh-huh. It's like, this is my reality. This is what it is. And, um, yeah, just a random, that was just a random thought. No, I think that's a really nice <laughs> metaphor actually. Um, it's yeah, weird because like, we're talking about particles, mm-hmm. um, like wave particles, wave and particles, but it re- applies so well to to really like. Oh, just like the the siren going by was kind of loud. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. It applies so well to to life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like what can we know? But because we know this so well, obviously it's collapsing those possibilities into the one observable. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say a bunch of different things, but I guess one thing I was thinking about um, for other pe- people who are in academia who are on the job market, this is a really rough time um, right now. And I know it's a rough time for many people mm-hmm. I care about, but like, it's so hard to think about what our future is like. But the thing is like, if it turns out well, then of course, you know, it's like this moment of uncertainty had a purpose. They're like, yo, you were going to end up okay anyways. You know, like it becomes this, a nar- this narrative suddenly has an end, a teleology, as we, we would say. And like it sort of justifies a particular narrative. But like it can easily not end up that way. And I think it's really important for us to remember that so we don't suddenly like, like if I end up being fortunate enough to get a job, I think it's sometimes easy for people to think that it's just pure meritocracy and like sort of taking that yeah. mentality and not realize, and then also think that they're exceptional and like forget that as part of this higher system of higher education doesn't even have to do with your discipline, has to do with how the mm-hmm. university functions, has to do with so many other things. And you forget that like that change does have to happen even if you were able to benefit, like, cause there's other people out there who are going through this. And so that's something I have to remind myself, like, and also to know that, and that's why I feel so, this is an anxious time. I could have my dream job of being a professor, which I really want, or who knows? And that's what, sort of terrifying. But I was also gonna say like a more lighthearted thing, which is have you, <laughs> have you met other Elizabeth Waynes? Cause then no. I can talk about my email. Really? No. How about other no, Waynes? No, I don't really, no. Not ones that I'm not related to. Huh. That's surprising to me. It's not as common a name as... I, I've never met other Waynes huh. that aren't my relatives. And I actually don't meet a lot of Elizabeths. It's funny. I guess maybe in English, there's just a ton of Elizabeths. I have a lot of Elizabeth friends in English. Hey, guys. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, so what I was alluding to before, I get emails for the other Christine Yao's. So it's been every, mm -hmm. I've been getting them for like the past five years. Like there's this Christine Yao who lives, I think in Manhattan. And they're not Cornell emails, right? No, they're not Cornell emails. Um, but I think just to my Gmail. Okay. And the one in Manhattan has like worked for a celebrity stylist, for example. That's fun. Um, I also get emails about her like looking at expensive real estate in Manhattan, and I'll get those emails and be like, "Wow, this Christine Yao right here can't afford this." Um, <laughs> and like, there's also this Christine Yao that I recently found out, who's in Hong Kong, who has this amazing marketing job for like these really elite high-end skincare beauty companies. Like she's worked for, I think, Dior Parfums, uh, so the Dior Perfume mm -hmm. division. She's worked for Amor Pacific, which is like the biggest Korean skincare line. And at the moment she's working for um, Sisley, which I think is French. And like their products, I've never used any of their products because they all cost hundreds of dollars. Um, oh my gosh. I know. And it's like, wow, other Christine Yao's, you're doing well. And when I go, because sometimes of course, have you ever like doing the academic Google just to see what pops up? And so I do pop up, but there's other Christine Yao's, and this other Christine Yao also is like, like a director writer who had just had her first movie come out. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So the other Christine Yao seem to be doing well and are probably no, making more money Liz than I. No, one Liz Wayne am. is like a stripper or something. She posts really? nude. <laughs> and then of course Little Wayne, the rapper, shows up if you Google Liz Wayne. Yeah, I can confirm this. For some reason, I think I googled you one time, and I was like, <laughs> I was like Liz Wayne. Little Wayne, not the same. Definitely not the same. Well, people, it's funny when people make that joke because it's like they think they're being very original. I'm like, I've heard that already. Uh -huh. let's, let's wrap this up. That wasn't funny. It wasn't funny the first time I heard it. And now it's just like getting cornier and even more corny. I think it, well, it's a good thing that your name is so unique because also like thinking academically that your publications will be always linked to your identity right hmm. or, yeah, to, so. or to stripper Liz I guess she's very, <laughs> she's very versatile that stripper Liz hmm. because like <laughs> yeah I think that there's there aren't other Christine Yao's in my part of academia so I don't have to worry about that but of course I have some other friends who have common names and they have to figure out like do I publish under this name but like then there won't be like the record won't be as clear about like what I did versus that other person mm. And so Weird. that becomes sort of complicated. Like I have um, someone I'm mentoring whose name is Liz Alexander, uh, Elizabeth mm -hmm. Alexander. And there's actually a famous poet called Elizabeth Alexander, for example, and I think also mm -hmm. professor. So that becomes sort of tricky. Oh, what's in the name? What, what was oh, it? Yes. The, the Shakespeare quote? <laughs> um, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't oh. know if I ever even did Shakespeare in high school. Really? Maybe like one poem or something. That's the problem. I, I feel know. like usually Romeo Juliet is like one of the ones that they always give to high school students because they probably think it's really easy to, to teach it to them, and then they could show <laughs> the Leonardo DiCaprio Baz Luhrmann film. Yeah, that's even that sounds foreign to me. I don't know what that is. Wow. So yeah, also a different really type remember. of alternate reality. It's like the difference in curriculums across schools completely change your knowledge base and what you're interested in. Out of curiosity, so quickly, what did you, what did you study in high school for literature? Um, I, um, I did some Edgar Allan Poe, um, Charles Dickens, 
Um, some I took a British literature class, an English, like an American English class. Um, what did I do? <laughs> um, I don't remember. It's okay. I did some classes. <laughs> I know it's a um, long time I think, ago. But on my own, um, there was this list of like top 50, like what books should you read? What classic books should you read? And I actually independently went through and read. I, I think I read all of them. It was like a challenge. I didn't do Moby Dick though. I couldn't get it. I just, I didn't like it. Moby and Dick's I didn't like <laughs> House of Seven Gables or Oh, some, no, I also like that one. Well, I guess that's why I studied I 19th century American literature and, and you're the scientist, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't do it. I was done. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I don't know if you want to wrap up, but I thought, of, yeah, interesting discussion. Academia opens a lot of different paths. You imagine yourself in a lot of different places. And here, Liz and I think about some of those alternative Zions and alternative Liz's. <laughs> yeah stripper Liz um, yeah hopefully I'll have a better a better outcome than stripper Liz maybe she's doing great I don't know yeah she could uh, for her sake I hope she's doing well yeah, yeah. it's also strange because I feel like Liz Wayne is not like a stripper name well I don't like think she strips by that name I just think oh. when you google it that's what you find or something. I just know that pictures. I think I don't know if it's always showing up anymore, but it used to show up. I'm also interested in sex with her. That's a whole other discussion for another time. Well, this is the good thing that people can Google this now and uh, tell me whether it's still up there or not. Well, thank you for listening. Yep. Tune in next time. You can find us on all of the social media. Um, iTunes. Yep. Facebook, Twitter, um, I think it's still going on Stitcher, but I think we kind of let that one go, and SoundCloud, so tune in next time. Yep, and maybe let us know about your alternate realities. <laughs> Take care.